Good evening. Good to see each one of you here tonight. A good crowd for a Sunday night. Let's stand together, please. Turn to page 419. Page 419. We'll sing all four verses. The solid rock to begin our service together tonight. Lift it up on that first verse. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide its face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When He shall come, with trumpet sound oh may i then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone fall less to stand before the throne on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand amen we're glad for the solid rock tonight. Amen. Well, sure good to be in God's house. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, tonight. Sure thankful uh, you are here tonight. Of course, we have a baptismal service uh, tonight. And looking forward uh, to that right after the uh, preaching time. And, and uh, excited about what the Lord's doing in this place. Amen. This has been a real blessing. Brother Joe Quinlan, would you open us in prayer tonight, brother? Amen. Why don't you be seated uh, tonight, and uh, of course here in just a, a minute we'll have uh, Brother Glazeman uh, come up, and uh, he's going to present their ministry, but again, sure appreciate him and Miss Esther being here. They've just been a blessing, and uh, if you haven't had a chance to go over and look at the Missions House and, and just to see uh, the progress, I'd encourage you to go over there. It's just amazing uh, how the Lord has uh, blessed uh, in all of that, and so that's uh, tonight. And I uh, did just want to mention this, um, if you have kids in the school, or even if you don't have kids uh, in the school, we are hosting the volleyball and basketball games again this coming Tuesday night, and that's at 6 o'clock, be over in the E.J. Watson uh, Gymnasium, uh, be once again playing uh, Heritage Baptist Church, their Christian school, and so always uh, enjoy the fellowship with them, and so I want to encourage you to be out, uh, be, uh, come out for that. And uh, just make a lot of noise and, and root our teams on. Amen. And uh, just a real blessing. And then, of course, this coming uh, Wednesday night 
Uh, it's kind of a short notice uh, type of situation, but got to visit with our uh, missionaries in Germany, uh, Fernando and Amy Padilla, their home on furlough, and actually said they'd be coming through this way Wednesday night. So Lord willing, Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night, uh, be able to have them report uh, from the field what the Lord's uh, been doing there, and then uh, might uh, be able to uh, have him preach as well. And so be uh, much in uh, prayer for that, but certainly be prepared uh, for that. And then also, if you have teens in the youth department, uh, this coming Friday, uh, February the 10th, is the youth rally at Temple Baptist Church in El Dorado, Kansas. And so, mom and dad, make sure you're aware of the times and all of that stuff when our group will be heading out and uh, getting back. And then this next uh, Sunday, we are not having a Super Bowl service. <laughs> Just thought I'd make sure you knew that. All right. In fact, I think it would be wise for you to be in the house of God. Amen. And uh, use it. Listen, get a DVR. All right. Record the game. That's fine. But be in the house of God. Be faithful to God's house. And uh, uh, Brother Rocky Harrell is going to be here. And he's going to be uh, preaching. I mentioned this morning in our Sunday school class, we're going to have combined Sunday school classes uh, in the, with the adult classes for the next two Sundays. Uh, and Brother Eric Watson is going to be teaching those. And then Brother Rocky Harrell is going to be preaching Sunday morning. And in our uh, Sunday night service, he is a longtime uh, Baptist history professor there at Heartland Baptist Bible College, also pastor there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I believe it was Tulsa Baptist Temple, and just a faithful, faithful man of God. He actually preached here, I believe it was, a couple of years ago, uh, right after our youth rally. They were the sponsoring uh, couple for the uh, one of the singing groups during our youth rally, and just did a fantastic job. I had people for two weeks talking about the message Brother Rocky Harrell preached. And so he's going to be here preaching Sunday morning and uh, Sunday night. So I encourage you to be in your place. Uh, I'll be preaching at Landmark Baptist Church. They better not be having a Super Bowl service, I can tell you that. I'll be there. It may be just me and my family Sunday night, but I'll be preaching. I'll, I'll guarantee you that. Uh, but anyways, I'll be preaching at Landmark uh, Baptist Church and doing their uh, Valentine's Banquet uh, for them, for their families. But looking forward to a good day there. So pray for us, but be in your place uh, here and then, of course, the Sunday after that, we'll be attending the GIBF meeting uh, at uh, Southside Baptist Church in Tampa, Florida. And Brother Ben Quinlan is going to be here, and he's going to be preaching on February uh, the 19th. And then, of course, uh, we are working on getting things set up for uh, the Bacon and Bullets on uh, Saturday, February the 25th. And so, men, be ready uh, for that. Hopefully this week we'll be able to get the sign-up sheet out and things like that and have everything uh, squared away. And then, ladies, don't forget about the ladies' meeting uh, at 7 o'clock, and that's on Tuesday, February the 28th. And certainly some other things coming up in February, but you got enough information right now. Amen. So. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's a good song. Page number 65. I don't think we sing it quite enough. The love of God. Let's all stand together again, please. Page number 65. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. Let's sing it out. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. He grew child, he reconciled and burdened from 
his sin. When you look God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. When years of time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who live refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure all measure less and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints and angels' song. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky O love of God how rich and pure how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. If you're thankful for God's love, say amen tonight. Praise the Lord for all he does for us. Now we get a chance to give back just a small part of that to him. Let's ask Brother Luke Stewart, would you pray for the offering tonight? Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes the Lord uh, gives the desires of your heart, uh, whether that be through a flood or a car running through the church sign. Uh, when I was pastoring in, in Cassville, uh, Missouri at Bible Baptist Church, they had probably one of the ugliest church signs I have ever seen, and I hated that thing, and I never really made it a point to pray about it, but one day my wife and I were pulling into the church and when we did, we noticed that parts of that sign were scattered all through across the uh, driveway, and a car had evidently in the middle of the night had 
lost control and ran through there and just, they kept on going. We never knew really what happened, but anyways, I got out of the truck and I looked at everything and I looked at Natalie and I said, God has given me the desires of my heart. And uh, so we began to, you know, to kind of research and, and pray about things. And uh, at the same time, Bible Baptist Temple in St. Joseph, Missouri, which is now Riverside Baptist Church, and Brother Bill Marshall, uh, they had bought a new building, and they were using a group uh, called, I believe it was Cornerstone Baptist Builders, and uh, Brother Jeff uh, Glazeman uh, was there and uh, doing a bunch of work. And so anyways, I reached out uh, to them and was able to uh, get brother, brother and sister Glazeman to come, and I believe it was another uh, couple, a uh, younger couple, and uh, they came down and we had bought a new sign and we had some other things that needed to be done. We actually had a basement that flooded in that church. I don't know, maybe I got the curse on me, I don't know. Uh, but anyways, we had had a missions apartment in the basement of that church and wanted to put some ceramic tile down and, and redo that. And so brother, brother and sister Glazeman came out and they were just a tremendous blessing. And so when I came here and we had that shirt or that uh, house over there, uh, I guess probably about two years ago, this is how the Lord works. About two years ago, I thought, man, I, just the Lord put it on my heart. I'm going to contact brother Glazeman and see if he'd be available, and, um, you know, I had no idea what the Lord was doing in Jack and Lizzie Parker's heart, had no idea how all of that stuff was going to fold out, but God knew exactly how it was going to happen, and so it just, it worked out, and uh, the Glazemans were actually able to come from Riverside Baptist Church uh, again, and uh, pulled their camper up, and uh, just, just went to work, and uh, it's, it's just been, it's always a blessing. They are just some of the sweetest people on planet earth. If you cannot get along with the Glazemans, you have problems. I'm just telling you, they are a blessing, and we have enjoyed them, and I really appreciate them uh, being here. And so we're going to go ahead and, and play the video uh, tonight, just kind of gives you an idea of their ministry, uh, the Rise Up and Build ministry. They uh, they are not just a blessing to us. They have been a blessing to a host of churches down through the years. And so I believe you'll see some of that uh, tonight. America is still a great land where people have the freedom to worship. Yet there is a great need for Bible-believing and preaching Baptist churches in many communities. The Rise Up and Build ministry provides help to independent Baptist churches in the United States with any remodel or building project they may have. The goal is to provide churches with God-honoring facilities that are accessible and beautiful as possible. Brother Jeff Glaceman accepted Christ as his Savior in 1993 at Temple Baptist Church in El Dorado, Kansas. His wife Esther was also saved at Temple Baptist at the age of 16. Both he and his wife were involved in the music and children's ministries. Brother Glaceman also served as a deacon and did maintenance and building upgrades at the church. After helping a church plant in Wichita, Kansas build their own building, the Lord burdened his heart to work full-time in the Building Helps Ministry, which he has been doing since 2004. Temple Baptist Church in El Dorado, Kansas, pastored by Ron Jones, has sent out Brother Glaceman and his wife to be a blessing to other Baptist churches across the nation. The Glaceman's Building Helps Ministry Rise Up and Build focuses on the improvement of existing structures and the building of new church buildings. And they said, let us rise up and build. 
So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Nehemiah 2.18 Brother Glaceman helps independent Baptist churches with building projects, labor-free. He is able to do this because of the churches and individuals that provide monthly financial support. He strives to save the church money on their building improvements so that more funds can be used for local outreach and foreign missions. Brother Jeff can lift the burden of the building project off of the pastor so he can continue with his normal pastoral duties. The Glacemans also help serve in whatever area is needed to encourage believers and see souls saved, whether it be giving their testimony, going soul winning, singing, or teaching a Sunday school class. Normally, they park their fifth wheel at the church property. Not only is this convenient because their tools are close by, but this gives added security to the job site. It does not matter what size the project is, Brother Glaceman is willing to help. He can frame walls, hang and finish sheetrock, hang doors and trim. On remodel jobs or new construction, Brother Jeff will do as much as local codes allow. He can help with plumbing, electrical or heat and air systems. He also lays ceramic floor tile or carpet squares and does custom woodworking. During a building project, anyone can be involved from the young to the young at heart or whether you work with power tools or hand tools. The Lord always provides willing helpers when the job is too large for the Glacemans to do by themselves. These are some of the churches that the Glacemans have had a part in helping during the past few years. Houston Bible Baptist Church in Missouri needed a hallway to connect the fellowship hall and Sunday school classrooms so a person did not need to walk through the auditorium. The church now has a nice large hallway and new wood doors opening into the auditorium. In Dexter, Missouri, Emmanuel Baptist Church, the auditorium needed updating. The paneling was removed and new sheetrock was hung. The popcorn ceiling was stripped off and both the walls and ceiling received texture and paint. New light fixtures and windows finished out the room. On the exterior, new vinyl siding and doors freshened up the outside. The Glacemans have been to Valley Avenue Baptist Church in Falls City, Nebraska several times. In 2013, the platform was rebuilt and the baptistry backdrop of simulated stone was replaced with sheetrock. Several years later, the back of the auditorium was enclosed, providing proper support for the balcony and separating the restrooms and nursery from the auditorium. The foyer and restrooms also got remodeled at this time and a prophet's chamber was built. In Spring Hill, Florida, Brother Jeff helped construct a new 6,400 square foot building for Cornerstone Baptist Church. On this build, he acted on behalf of the general contractor, helping coordinate the local subcontractors. He was able to frame the walls, do the sheetrock, and assist with the electrical work. Brother Glaceman also built the platform, hung the suspended ceiling in the entire building, installed the doors, tiled the restrooms and kitchen, put up the trim, and helped paint. Stucco panels were installed on the exterior. This church now has their own building with seating for 250 instead of a borrowed meeting place holding around 125 in three separate rooms. The Glaceman family helped Northwoods Baptist Church in Bemidji, Minnesota remodel an office building they purchased. The church was meeting in the rented meeting room on Sundays but was not able to rent it for the midweek service. Walls were torn out and new ones built on the ground floor for the auditorium and nursery. Both restrooms were updated as well. It is exciting to see new church plants get into a permanent location. In rural Missouri, the auditorium of Fundamental Bible Baptist Church was totally remodeled. The old walls, suspended ceiling, and carpet were removed. 
Sheetrock was hung on the walls and ceiling and finished. New light fixtures were installed. Brother Jeff built the platform steps, trim, modesty rail, pulpit, and table from rough-cut lumber. Carpet squares were laid on the floor in the auditorium and hall. Southside Baptist Church in Tampa, Florida is one of the largest church buildings they have worked on, being 25,000 square feet with an auditorium that will seat 450. On this job, Brother Jeff helped the general contractor with the day-to-day -day issues that arose. He was able to install the suspended ceilings, the baptistry, and help erect the steeple. There were about 70 doors in this building that he installed. Brother Glazeman also built the pulpit, welcome, and nursery drop-off centers and other custom woodwork. At Columbia, Missouri, Brother Jeff helped Bible Baptist Church finish the second story. It has five rooms and two restrooms. He also built a new stairway leading to the upstairs. The sound booth was raised to the second story, and new lighting was installed in the auditorium. In Walla Walla, Washington, Brother Glaceman helped Berean Baptist Church to renovate the basement. A new pastor's office was built, and the nursery was moved. A new entrance to the restrooms was made. Two new restrooms were built. New texture and paint were put on the sheetrock walls and ceilings. Carpet squares were laid in the fellowship hall. These improvements will make a good first impression and make the basement much more usable. The Glacemans counted a privilege to do the Lord's will and to help independent Baptist churches across America have God-honoring facilities that are beautiful as well as functional. For Jeff and Esther Glaceman as they travel across the United States helping independent Baptist churches to rise up and build. That's just a small part of what we do. <clears throat> it's always when I first went on the road and I walked into the first church that I helped in uh, Iowa, Waterloo, Iowa. I walked in, didn't know a soul there, barely knew the preacher. I'd met him one time. And all I had known was those four square walls of Temple Baptist Church in El Dorado, Kansas. And the 
Lord had to push me out of my comfort zone a little bit. And I got to go to Waterloo and work on that church there. <clears throat> but I soon realized it's the same spirit as my home church. The love that the people have for each other and soon for myself was very apparent. And through the years, we've got to meet a lot of uh, very interesting people. And as you saw in the, in, the, in the video, you saw that little tiny boy about three years old with a nail apron on. We would tie, I had a little cloth nail apron, and I'd tie it around him about three times to get it all the way around him so I could tie it, you know. And his job, his dad would come every morning. He worked at 7-Eleven. And his dad would come every morning after he got off work at 8 o'clock. And he'd go by and get his son, and he'd bring him to the church. He's like, brother, I don't know what I can do, but I, I want to help. I said, what do you do for work? And he said, well, I work at 7-Eleven. And he says, I, you know, run the cash register and sweep and mop and, you know, take care of stock and inventory and stuff. And I said, oh, you can sweep and mop? He goes, yeah, would that help? I go, brother, you don't know what kind of blessing that would be. He showed up every morning after he got off work for two hours, and he'd just run a broom and sweep and clean up. Well, he'd bring his son along with him. We'd put that little nail apron on him, and his job was to go around the whole church and pick up every screw and nail that he could find on the floor and put that little nail apron. And he'd bring it back to me and go, Brother Jeff, look at all my screws I got. <laughs> and then the, <clears throat> the older gentleman there, Mr. Beebe, he, he was such a blessing there, too. He was at that first church that I helped build. And he had no construction knowledge whatsoever. But anything I asked him to do, he was more than willing to help. And if he didn't understand, he'd ask why or how, how do we do this or whatever, and, and he'd help. And he was there every day helping me work on the project. So whether they're three years old or 83 years old, it doesn't matter. We can, we can put anybody to work. Well, Brother Mallard's in Dexter, Missouri, when we were there, there was a gentleman there named Floyd Adams. And one day he, I had my tape measure on me, and he came up to me and he says, hey, can I borrow that a minute? I'm like, sure. So he grabs my tape measure and he starts pulling it out. And I'm like, okay. And he says, what's Proverbs 90 verse 10 say? I'm like, um, he says, it's the days of man. He said, what are the days of man? I said, three score and 10, right? And he goes, yeah. And if by strength, they might be 80. So he pulls the tape measure out to 70 inches, and he shows me that, and I'm looking at it, and he goes, he says, how old are you right now? And I think at that time I was like 56 or 57 years old, somewhere down in here. And he says, there's nothing you can do about from here back to that end down there. He says, the only thing you can change is from here to whatever God gives you. Brother Floyd was 67 years old at that time. He passed away at age 73. What an impact that made on my life. 
I can't change whatever's in the past. All I can do is change from here forward. What would have happened if at age 45, I said, no, Lord, you know, I don't think I don't want to get into the building ministry. No, that's not for me. And now here I am at age 65. And the Lord still used me. So when God gives you, when God urges you to do something, I did not feel comfortable going to Waterloo, Iowa at age 45. But I got out of my comfort zone. God stretched me. God, God has grown me. He has used me for things that I never, ever would have thought I could do. When I built that pulpit in Summersville, Missouri, after Brother Melvin Williams hammered me for three weeks, you're going to build my pulpit. I'm like, Brother Williams, I barely am a framing carpenter. I am nowhere near any kind of a furniture builder. And he hammered me for three weeks, and I finally said, okay. But I said, don't blame me when you don't like what you got. <laughs> I went before the church during that time, and I told him, I said, your preacher's not going to let me off the hook about building this pulpit. So I need something from you guys. I need you to pray for me this week while I build it. We went to a sawmill and got rough sawn, inch and an eight thick red oak. We had to plane it. We had to straighten one edge of it. We had to saw it all down. We had to build the whole thing. I, I didn't have any blueprints. I just like winging it just out of, off my head I'd, you know, I'd go by and I'd measure other things and think okay well that looks about the right height or this looks about wide enough or whatever and a week later it was finished and brother John Foster a friend of mine that traveled with me for about five years he did all the finished work on it and it was just absolutely gorgeous and I look at it and I'm like these might have been in the two hands that built it. But it was God working through me to do something that I could not do. So my challenge to you tonight is, when God gives you the inkling to do something, don't push it aside and say, Lord, I don't know, that's not really for me. That's, that's not, you know, I don't feel comfortable. Maybe God's trying to grow you. Maybe God's trying to do something with you that you don't see that you have the ability. Like those servants that the master gave five talents to and two talents to and one talent to. That master saw the ability in those men that maybe they didn't see themselves. So maybe God's seeing something in you Something greater than you can be right what you are right now. Whether you're seven years old or 70 years old, God's evidently not done with you because you're still here. So my challenge is to you, whether it's just picking up your Bible and praying for your missionaries, if that's what you're able to do, praise the Lord. If you're able to get out there and, you, and help a missionary or do something special, for your church. 
Don't, don't ever let the worry of maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I'm not, this is not what I'm called to do. Maybe you need to surrender and just say, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I want to do. We love being here. We thank you for letting us be here. We've uh, now been in uh, over 76 different churches in the last almost 20 years now. We've been back to several of them a number of times. And uh, I'll tell you what, I would not trade a single day of the last 20 years for anything. I love what I do. I'm, I'm glad I said yes to the Lord and I'm able to do what I do today. Thank you. Amen. Um, I'd, I'd like to see us um, get behind the Glazemans financially and uh, take them on for support. And so all those willing to do that, would you just lift up with your right hand and give out with a hearty amen. And uh, let's, let's support them. Uh, at, uh, you know, we've, we've been supporting missionaries at $75 a month, and so let's take them on uh, starting this month of February. And so that's a real blessing. So. Okay, come on here. Would you stand with me one last time and turn to page 424. Page number 424. Have faith in God. We'll sing all verses for our last song together tonight. Have faith in God when your pathway is lonely. He sees and knows all the way you have trod. Never alone are the least of His children. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. He's on His throne. Have faith in God. He watches o'er His own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. When your prayers are unanswered, your earnest plea he will never forget. Wait on the Lord, trust his word and be patient. Have faith in God, he'll answer yet. Have faith in God, he's on his throne. Have faith in God, he watches o'er his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. In your pain and your sorrow, His heart is touched with your grief and despair. Cast all your cares and your burdens upon Him and leave them there. Oh, leave them there. Have faith in God. He's on his throne, have faith in God, he watches o'er his own, he cannot fail, he must prevail, have faith in God, have faith in God, have faith in God, though all hell would love to have faith in God, he provides for his own. He cannot fail, though all kingdoms shall perish. He rules and reigns upon His throne. Have faith in God, He's on His throne. Have faith in God, He watches o'er His own. He cannot fail, He 
prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Amen. Great singing. Please remain standing. Get your Bibles ready for the message tonight. Well, praise the Lord. Joshua in chapter number 10 uh, tonight. And uh, Joshua in chapter number 10 uh, tonight. And uh, well, it's been a blessing already to be in God's house. Amen. And uh, sure thankful tonight for uh, the presentation there and the testimony. God is so very good to us, isn't he? And uh, just a real blessing. Well, uh, Joshua in chapter number 10. And of course, we are uh, kind of picking up here in the middle of uh, things going on. Uh, if you remember at the beginning of the chapter, these uh, five uh, major kings in the southern portion of Canaan uh, got together. They made an alliance, and so they uh, decided to go and attack the Gibeonites with the intention of starting a fight with Joshua and Israel. And so they start the fight. But Joshua finishes the fight, all right? And so last week we saw there where the kings, those five kings were executed, they were put to death, and really what happens is, you and I pick up tonight in verse number 28, and Joshua just basically just continues fighting and begins to deal with all of the cities of some of those kings and even more so, and it's really, it's called, and this is what I titled the message tonight, the Southern Campaign, all right? And so that's, that's the idea here tonight, but let's, let's look here and let's begin reading here in verse number 28, all right? It says, so we pick up here, and the kings have now been executed, and it says in verse 28, And that day Joshua took Makeda and smote it with the edge of the sword, and the king thereof he utterly destroyed uh, them and all the souls that were therein, he let none remain. And he did to the king of Makeda as he did unto the king of Jericho. If you don't know what that is, that means he, he killed him. All right, so uh, look at verse number 29. Then Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him unto Libna, fought against Libna, and the Lord delivered it also, and the king thereof into the hand of Israel. He smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein, and he let none remain of it. But did unto the king thereof as he did unto the king of Jericho. If you don't know what that is, that means he killed him. Verse 31, And Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him unto Lachish. And encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, which took it on the second day and smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein, according to all that he had done to Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, uh, came up with the help of Lachish, and Joshua smote him and his people until he had left uh, him none remaining. And from Lachish, Joshua passed unto Eglon and all the Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. And they took it on that day and smote it with the edge of the sword, and all the souls that were therein he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. And Joshua went up from Eglon and all the uh, Israel with him unto Hebron, and they fought against it, and they took it, and smote it with the edge of the sword, and the king thereof, and all the cities thereof, and all the souls that were therein, he left none remaining, according to all that he had done to Eglon, but destroyed it utterly, and all the souls that were therein. And Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to Deber, and fought against it, and he took it, and the king thereof, and all the cities thereof, and they smote them with the edge of the sword, and utterly destroyed all the souls that were therein, and he left none remaining, and he had, uh, as he had done to Hebron, so he did to Deber, and to the king thereof, and as he had done uh, also to Libna and to her king. Whew. A lot of killing. 
Look at verse 40. So Joshua smote all the country of the hills and all the south of the vale and of the springs and their kings and left none remaining but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua smote them from Kadesh Barnea unto, even unto Gaza and unto the country of Goshen, uh, even unto Gibeon. That's basically all of the southern regions. And all these kings and their land did Joshua take at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. So very key right there. Now, let me just give you two quick things and we're going to pray and I'll let you be seated. Number one, you need to be careful, all right, not to misinterpret all of the warfare and all of the killing, okay? Because you need to understand something. These were very, very, very wicked people. I cannot, I cannot stress that enough and that this was God's judgment on their evil. If you don't know the things that they were doing, you can actually read about it a lot in Deuteronomy. God would often warn His people of, of certain evils, immorality, and grotesque immorality and things. I'm just, I'm just telling you, these were things that we would send people to prison for today. That's what they were doing. Very vile and evil things. And God said to His people, you have no business doing that. And, and basically, He would use the people of Canaan as a contrast because that's exactly what these people were doing. Okay, so make sure that you keep things in the right perspective here. Don't paint God in the bad light. These were the people that were in the bad light. All right, so make sure that you understand that. But the second thing that is very important is the application, all right? It is a spiritual application. So when I say things like tonight, like we need to destroy our enemies, I'm not talking about going out and killing people. That's not your enemy. That's the mission field. They need, to, they, need to have, they need to receive Christ as their Savior. I'm talking about the devil and the world and the flesh. I'm talking about sin. All right? Those kind of things. And we need to learn to have spiritual victory in our life. And here's why. So that we can go out and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can go out into our mission field. So here's the thing tonight. You need to be saved tonight. That's step number one to having victory. You need to know Christ as your Savior, but then you need to learn how to have spiritual victory in your life as a child of God. And the Southern Campaign is actually going to give us some incredible helps to this tonight. So I'm going to ask God's help as we try to paint the picture for us tonight. Father, would you bless the preaching now? Lord, thank you already for just a good day in your wonderful house. Thank you, Lord, for the message this morning and just the sweet spirit around your word. And, and thank you already tonight, Lord. You've been so gracious to us. And so, God, I'm asking you again to use me tonight uh, as your vessel. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated uh, tonight. <clears throat> I uh, have shared th this story on multiple occasions. I've actually uh, I shared it just briefly last week. But here's the thing. This is... Uh, this coming Saturday be exactly five years I've been the pastor at Faith Baptist Church. And after five years, you only have so many stories. All right. Uh, but I, uh, I do, you know, and I, I've shared this on, on many occasions. And you, some of, so don't, you know, turn it off uh, right off the bat. But 
This was so incredibly important in our family. But when Natalie and I uh, were first married, our oldest daughter, our oldest child, Madison, was born. And I was welding in a chemical plant uh, there in the panhandle of Florida where we were living uh, at the time. And, of course, the economy was kind of taking some different turns. And so there were several uh, plants in the area that began to struggle. And the one that we were at began to struggle and begin to close down. And so basically I was looking for another job. I had all kinds of offers uh, that came my way, opportunities and, and things like that. Most of them consisted on me going on the road, going out of town and, and working. The money uh, would have been great, but I would have been away from my family and I would have been away from my uh, church family. And, and I had not been saved for very long and I was just beginning uh, to grow in my faith. And so, you, you know, and again, we, we sat down and we started kind of looking at the pros and, and cons and things here. And, and we basically just came to the decision that money wasn't everything. And we, we decided that night that we were going to put Christ first in our, in our family. And I, again, I'm just telling you that that was one of the greatest decisions that we ever made as a family. It, it became a conviction in our home that we still live by to this day. And I, I would say this tonight, would to God more families would make decisions like that and they would put Christ first in their, in their home. Now here's why I'm telling you all of this again uh, tonight. Because even though I, I made that decision, you, you understand, I, I may have won some uh, very major battles right there, but the war and, and spiritual victory, those kind of battles, they weren't over yet. And, and so... That, that's kind of the idea here. If you, if you remember the names of, of these cities of the, where those five kings uh, ruled, all right, they, they stood for things. And, and be a fact, the king of Jerusalem who organized basically the whole thing, uh, the whole alliance here, his city represented backsliding, all right? And what we found was that Joshua eliminated this king along with a lot of other kings there, the other four kings, and, and, and really the way that he done it was by keeping his priorities straight. He stayed focused on the task at hand, and then he came back and he killed the kings. But what we find tonight is this, is that there is still work to be done. All right, and that's the picture that, that you and I see tonight. And my friend, what I'm saying to you is this, is it still the same way with us? Just again, just because we made that that decision to put Christ first in our family, that doesn't mean the war is over. Uh, all right, we, listen. We we may have won that battle. We could. I could even say this tonight. I think with that decision, we certainly avoided backsliding as a family and getting away from the things of God and 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 begin to chase after money and, and temporal things. I would say this, we certainly won that battle there. But at the same time, I also understand there were a multitude of battles that came after that. And we still had to fight and we still have to battle some even today. And that's, that's the lesson that you and I see tonight as Joshua goes into the, this southern campaign. In fact, let me give you some things tonight that I noticed from our text. Certainly one of those would be this. Joshua is going to face some new enemies, but also some old enemies in this campaign. All right, let me, let me explain to you what, what, what I mean by that. And by the way, you and I will find this to be true in the Christian life. Again, once you decide to make Christ preeminent, there's always going to be new battles. But you may also find there's some old battles too. 
All right, let's look at some of the new enemies here. The first one up is Makeda here. Look at verse number 28. And again, if you like taking notes, this is certainly a a noteworthy or maybe some things to underline here and, and point out. But look at verse 28. It says, In that day Joshua took Makeda, smote it with the edge of the sword, and the king thereof, he utterly destroyed them and the souls that were therein. And he let none remain, and he did to the king of Makeda as he did unto the king of Jericho. And so, be, be in fact, if you look at it in the text here, this is actually where we left off uh, the last time we were in the life of Joshua. Makeda is the area where the five kings were hiding out, uh, all right? Where they were hiding, <laughs> they were hiding when the battle went south, figuratively, uh, all right? When, when the hailstones started coming out of the sky, right? God started, all right? All right, and, and, and the day was not, there was no night coming, and this was not good, all right? And, and, and they were getting defeated. They, they tucked tail and they ran, all right, and hid in the caves within Makeda, all right? But now we find that after their execution, Joshua just says, you know what, fellows, while we're here, let's just go ahead and take this city and their king. And, and that's exactly what he does here. Now, now listen to this. Here's what Makeda means. Makeda means to blaspheme. It means to curse or use piercing words. That's what Makeda means. You ever heard this? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'm going to tell you something. That's a lie. Words do hurt. Words can pierce. That, that's what Makeda that, that's what Makeda means. Be a fact, go down with me to the very, uh, towards the end here and look at verse number 38 of, uh, at the end of chapter 10. It says, And Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Deber and fought against it. And he took it and the king thereof and all the cities thereof. And they smote them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the souls that were therein. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron, so he did to Deber and to the king thereof as he had done also to Libna and to her king. Deber was, one of the na- was, was the name of one of the kings in the alliance. Back up in verse 3, Deber was the king of Eglon. All right, But here, Deber is also a city. And the reason that I point this out is because Deber literally means this, to speak. Now, now this is interesting. The southern campaign, listen to this. It begins... And it ends with the sins of the tongue. Think about that. And, and, and if I could say this tonight, this is an area where God's people really need to think about getting the victory in the battle. Well, it got real quiet in here tonight. Because the truth of the matter is, I think we all know we need it. You, you, you understand? Listen, your tongue... You need to understand this. Your tongue can not only determine your direction in life, it can quickly ruin your testimony. You understand, James James likens the tongue to a horse's bit in its mouth or a rudder on a ship. And, and the idea is this, is that though it is small, boy, it sure wields a lot of power. You, you understand? It can, it can control the direction. He also likens it to a small fire. And you and I know this, that a small fire can turn real quickly into a big fire. And it can do much damage. 
I don't think we need to talk about forest fires and things like that. Certainly the Kansas wind and what that can do with a burning leaf pile. All right, you understand it. That's the idea, friend. God's people should not, listen, God's people should not be speaking blasphemy. We should not be cursing. Somebody say amen tonight, friend. We got no business using filthy, corrupt language and filthy language out of our mouth. We shouldn't be taking the Lord's name in vain. We shouldn't be even using euphemisms like gosh or golly or any of that. Listen, that's, that's the same thing, friend. That's the idea. And by the way, we shouldn't be slandering one another. And, and, and the criticism and the backbiting and the gossip, I'm telling you tonight, those things need to stop. And we've got to stop making excuses to, to justify it. Well, I'm just telling you these things so you can pray for them. Don't you think God knows? I'm just saying to you, they're just things we don't necessarily need to say. We just need to pray and, and to understand God knows and that's enough. James also says this, no man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the tongue. However, we learn from the life of Moses who created the tongue. That was God. In case you're kind of going, who, who done that? Yeah, it was God. All right? And, and I would say to you tonight this, if he can help Moses, then I would say to you, he can help me and you. I can, I'm just telling you tonight, I can personally vouch for this. I, when I got saved, one of the very first things God began to deal with me about was my speech and the things that I said. Uh, one of the things that I uh, first began to experience a tremendous amount of conviction over was whenever I used the Lord's name in vain. Man, I, I, if, I, if I messed up and I said the Lord's name in vain, it just wrenched my guts because I knew what God had done for me in salvation. And, and man, it, it just hurt. And I knew that it bothered God and I, and I didn't want to do it. But what I found was this, is that I, as I began to seek God, and I begin to ask God for help. God begin to give me victory over those things and begin to change my speech and begin to change my tongue and begin to change my language. And though I still battle at times, I'm just telling you, I get victory at times. Because here, why? Well, because no man can tame the tongue, but my friend, the one that created it can contain can can tame it, and he can help you and I uh, with it tonight and change our speech and change our language and, and certainly give us victory over the temptations to, to gossip or, or to have our own spirit and, and develop criticism and backbiting and things like that. God can help you with those things tonight. God can help you with those things. Look down at verse number 29 of our text. So after Makeda, in verse number 29, it says, Then Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him unto Libna and fought against it. And the Lord delivered it also and the king thereof into the hand of Israel. And he smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein. And he let none remain of it, but did unto the king, there, uh, did unto the king thereof as he did unto the king of Jericho. And so Libna, here's the next city, Libna. Again, this is a new enemy. And Libna means this, whiteness. Yeah, that's like a city filled with white people. No, that's, that's not what it means at all, all right? That's probably where a lot of your minds were going, right? Everything's about race today. Do you know, did you know this? That the color white in the Scriptures is often associated with prosperity. 
Think about all the major buildings and all the pillars and columns and things like that. Typically, they're the color white, marble and things like that. Libna, Libna represents this. Listen to this. It represents materialism. And I'm going to tell you something. This too tonight is something that we must learn to get victory over. This was something big and can still be big in our family. They, they, again, this was where we had to decide money wasn't everything. And I, I listen there. And, and by the way, let me say this tonight. There's nothing wrong with being, with being financially well off. All right? Please, please understand this. You don't have to be poor and starving to death to be right with God. All right, well, wait a minute. Preacher, the rich man went to hell. Well, the rich man went to hell in Luke 16, but not because he was rich. He went to hell because he didn't receive Christ as his Savior. But it was his riches that hindered him from doing so. In fact, the Bible says this. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, not money itself. Money's a tool just like anything else, friend. But, but you understand, when you fall in love with it, and it becomes what you chase after in life, see, that's where you've got problems. And you need to consider this, friend, that when you get into the New Testament, I found this as I study the Bible and I study the earthly ministry of Christ. Jesus dealt with this topic quite frequently. You understand? He warned the lost of things like this with the, with, with the account of the rich man and Lazarus or the parable of, of the foolish farmer. He, but, but here's the thing. He also dealt with it with his disciples. They were often concerned with, with the temporal. And in their case, it was oftentimes just the simple necessities of life. But the idea is this. They struggle just like we struggle. And it's why the Savior would give wonderful, wonderful verses like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hello? I'm just, I'm just saying to you tonight, friend, listen, folks. There's nothing wrong with having a job. God expects us to work. God expects us to provide for our home. But when you're sucked out of being in church because you're discontent or you're caught up with the temporal things and the entertainments of this life, then I would say to you, you've got a Libna problem. You, you, listen, you, you, it, it, it amazes me today that there are a host of God's people who can't even serve God. Because they're so busy with their materialist stuff. And it's like, friend, I'm, I'm just, listen, you need victory over that. You need, you, you, need some, you need to go home and make some serious decisions in, in your life and look at what's the most valuable and what's the most important. Because I'm telling you right now, it's not sports and entertainments and all the temporal hobbies and junk of this world. This right here is the most valuable and the most important thing you could have in your life. Look at verse 33. He goes to my favorite enemy, Gezer. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish. And Joshua smote him and his people until he had left him None remaining. And so while attacking Lachish in verse 32 and 33 that we looked at, Horam king of Gezer comes up, sticks his nose in the battle. So Joshua says, all right, big boy, you want some of this? You got it. It's all there in the Hebrew. Now again, listen, we, you know, back in verse 31 and 32 there, uh, uh, Lachish, we, we've already dealt with Lachish because their king was one of the five kings in the alliance. And again, it means rebellion 
But listen to this. But Gezer, this, this is amazing. The, the name Gezer means this, to divide as in having a critical or divisive spirit. That's pretty interesting. Be, be a fact, li, listen to this. The, the, the king, Horam, his name means this, high-spirited or lofty one. You understand how 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 incredible that is. How it just how it just goes. Listen, it goes. I'm just all of this goes together. It even goes together with with Lachish in rebellion. And here you've got this this arrogant king, and 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 he's got a critical and divisive spirit. Comes in, sticks his nose in. No wonder they were friends with Lachish rebellion. Pride leads to rebellion, but pride also gives people a critical and an arrogant spirit. Please listen to this tonight. If you don't get anything else, listen to this. One of the dangerous things a Christian can do is this. Develop this type of attitude in their life. As they get victory and separate from the evil of this world, they then turn in their pride and they become very critical of those who are where they used to be. That's Pharisee. Hello? Friends, I'm going to tell you something. It, that, that shouldn't be us. You, you understand? Because had it not been for the grace of God, you'd still be right there where they're at. You, you understand? And here's the deal. Please listen to this. And what they need is not criticism. What they need is a shot of the grace of God that you already got. That's what they need. Be careful. Listen, be careful that you don't become an old geezer. Amen. That'll preach right there. And I'm not talking about get off my lawn. Because if you invest in your grass and you put seed out and you water it and you mow it, get off my lawn. But let me give you a track before you go. <laughs> Prideful, arrogant, critical. Let, let me help you with this tonight. You and I need to stay humble and broken and let God use us to reach others. But look at verse number 34, and let's kind of backtrack here just for a moment. Or actually, no, we're kind, of, we're kind of going forward here, but we're kind of in, but, you know, we covered Deber there at the end. But look at verse number 34. It talks about him from Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon, and all Israel with him. They camped against it, fought against it, killed all of them. Look, look down at verse number 36. And Joshua went up from Eglon to Hebron, and again, fought against it and, and destroyed uh, all of them. And, and, and the idea here is to get you to understand when you got Lachish and you got Eglon and you got Hebron, all of these are the old enemies. Okay? The, these are the kings, their, their kings have already been executed. And again, Lachish means rebellion, and Eglon means idolatry, and Hebron means worldliness. And this is what I have found in my life, and maybe this isn't you, but I'd venture to say it probably is. But what I have found is this, is that old enemies like these, they show up, uh, they show us that we might get victory over these once, but they will resurface in our lives from time to time. You understand, you might say, man, preacher, last a couple of weeks ago, I just wasn't where I needed to be, and I was really dealing with a rebellious attitude in my life, 
but, but I got right with God since then. Well, that's wonderful, but I'm telling you, tomorrow you might wake up on the wrong side of the bed and be dealing with it again. And, and I know this, I, I know when you talk about things like worldliness and, and idolatry, man, that is something that constantly bombards uh, my life. And sometimes they are things that they in and of themselves, they are okay, but the problem is they begin to consume too much of my time and too much of my thoughts and, and where my heart uh, begins to go to. And what I often have to do is I have to go back and I have to re-examine, and I have to say, wait a minute, this is getting too much, and I have to put it away and get right with God and make Christ preeminent again in my life. Well, why? So that I can walk in victory. And what I'm saying to you is this, is that sometimes, friend, you and I have to do that. Sometimes we need to, we need to put our big boy pants on and have enough discipline and enough resolve in our spiritual lives to just go ahead and go ahead and say no to the flesh finally and, and to put it down and to get right with God and fall back in love with Him. But this is something else that I want to point out to you. See, not only does Joshua in this southern campaign, does he deal with new enemies and, and, and old enemies, but, but the other thing that I notice is how he deals with these enemies. And, and I want to point out just two very clear, clear things to you. One of those is this. He stuck with God's plan on this thing. It always, I don't know, it, it interests, it, it, it's always interesting to read commentators. Because what I have found is this, is that the majority of them, they lack faith and they see things in a very secular view. And, and much, much is made of Joshua's strategy in coming into the land of, of Canaan yeah, you understand, they came across Jordan and they came into the center of the land and, and this prevented them, prevented a, a full-on alliance of, of, all of, of, uh, of all of Canaan, okay? So basically being divided, the land of Canaan beca- uh, remained uh, weak and so it was a divide and conquer uh, strategy and this allowed for this southern campaign, the northern campaign is going to take place in the following chapter. But I'm just saying to you, military strategists have long followed the example of Joshua's divide and conquer scheme. But here's what I want to point out. It wasn't really Joshua's scheme. It was God's. Friend, it was God that parted the Jordan River. It was Jesus Christ that met with Joshua and gave him the plan to walk around the walls of Jericho. I'm just saying to you, I don't think that plan's going to work without God. It was God that done that. Listen, it was God that came up with the plan to make an AI sandwich out of the mulberry. You know, uh, it was just, it was God that came up with that. It was God that, you know, it, it, even, even here in our, in our text, friend, it, it was God that dropped the hailstones and, and extended the day. Look down at our text. Look, look, at the, look, look at what happens here. Look at verse number 30. It says, and the Lord delivered it. Look at verse number 32. And the Lord delivered. Look at verse number 42. And all these kings and their land did Joshua take at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel, friend. And really, you can go back up and look at the other enemies and see the same idea. It doesn't directly say it, but it is most certainly implied 
that it is God that won the victory. It is God's plan. All Joshua did was submit himself and obey God by faith. So what are you you trying to get at tonight, preacher? Well, here's what I'm trying to get at. The application is still the same with us, friend. That spiritual victory is available to you and to me. It's just whether or not we're going to get to a place tonight where we stop trying to have one foot in the world and one foot in the house of God. And we go ahead and get in and stop trying to justify things and just submit ourselves and obey God's plan for our life. In fact, here's something else that I noticed. is Not only was he submitted to God's plan and did what God wanted to do, but he did it, friend, he did it wholeheartedly. I mean, he got radical. Radical with it. You know, the phrase that you see down through here, in fact, it's mentioned five times in this passage, is this, utterly destroyed. It's mentioned in verse 28, verse 35, verse 37, verse 39, and verse 40. This means this, that Joshua wasn't interested in keeping a few around for fellowship. He didn't justify any to remain, friend. He utterly destroyed everything he could. Listen to me, and that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. You know, Jesus in the New Testament, He talked about this. He said, if thy thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Because it'd be better for you to enter into heaven maimed than to enter into hell with all your body parts. He said this, if your eye offend thee, pluck it out. You know, listen, listen. Jesus wasn't talking about, that that wasn't literal. You, You understand that. He's not talking about, okay, if I mess up, well, you know, if I can't get control of my tongue, I just need to cut it off. That'd be a bummer. I mean, for some. No, he was talking spiritual. You know what he was saying? He was saying this. He was saying this, that if you want to, listen, if you want to have spiritual victory in your life, then honey, you've got to get serious. You've got to get radical about dealing with, with stuff in your life. You've got to utterly destroy it. You've got to utterly uh, get rid of it. I can, listen, I can remember when my kids were little and they'd have, they'd have a toy and they'd be fighting over this thing and they'd be like, and you know what I'd do? I'd just get sick of it. And I'd go in there and I'd take the toy and I'd go, that's it. If this is the result of this toy, nobody's playing with it because I'm tired of hearing it. And what I'm saying to you is this, is that when are we going to get the same spirit and the same attitude about the stuff that's constantly causing us defeat time and time and time and time again? When are we going to get so sick of it that we're willing to get radical and do away with it altogether? You're struggling with pornography tonight? Maybe you need to get radical. Maybe you need to go ahead and get rid of the phone or the TV or the computer. What I have found is this. You can't live without them. I remember when we didn't have those. I remember when we had the phone and it was like this. And you messed up at the last time. You had to hang it up, start all over again. And you didn't have no computer. I remember when my cousin, my cousin across the street, and I had to type my first paper, and I had to go over there and use his computer. And then it was like, 
all that internet, you know. What, what is that? That's the internet. What is that? And now we've got some, I'm telling you, the pornography thing has become an epidemic. And we heard about some of it at the couple's retreat. And it just, I'm telling you, some of the statistics are so staggering, it blows your mind. And my friend, here's what I have found, is that what trends in this world begins to trend in the lives of God's people. And I'm just saying to you, friend, listen, you, 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 can, you can sit there and dabble in that stuff and pollute your mind and your heart, or you can get, decide tonight, I'm going to get victory. And if you're going to get victory, you're going to have to get radical about some things. You're struggling with idolatry tonight. When are you going to get tired of that thing ruling your heart and your mind and just constantly luring you in? When are you going to get, just put it away from you once and for all? If you're struggling with rebellion, what's it going to take for you to get to the bottom of the barrel and finally humble yourself? You're struggling with the tongue. How many people are you going to have to hurt before you finally realize you're the problem? How many friendships and relationships are you going to destroy because you have a critical spirit and you keep using those sharp, blaspheming, and piercing words? When are you going to finally humble yourself and go, listen, I, I need victory over this. I've got to make some things right. I've got to apologize to some people. And I need God's help in my life. What's it going to take for us to get radical? Joshua just submitted himself and followed God's plan and said this, I'm not leaving anything that's going to cause me a stumbling block down the road. I'm utterly destroying everything that I can. When are we going to get that spirit and that attitude? Now let me give you the last thing. Look at verse number 43. Look at verse number 43. It actually ends the passage here, and I forgot to read it tonight as I was opening. Some of you probably noticed that. That's all right. Every now and then I make a mistake. It's once in a while. It's actually be Saturday be exactly five years here, so this is my first mistake in five years. <laughs> Look at verse 43. If you didn't get the sarcasm in that, I am so sorry. It says, And Joshua returned and all Israel with him unto the camp to Gilgal. And, and this is, again, this is the last thing, but he goes back. He ends the campaign at Gilgal. And this is, listen, Gilgal, if you don't know anything about this, it's actually the home base of Israel at the time. Listen to this. It's where they set up the stones from the Jordan River when God parted it and they crossed over. It's also where they circumcised this new Joshua generation that's going into the land of Canaan. The reproach was rolled away, God said. It's where the tabernacle and the ark was set up. If I could say it to you like this, it represents the church for the New Testament believer. It was a place of rest. Not that they slept through the preaching, but it was a place of rest where they could come in from the battles of the enemies and they could just rest. It was a place of fellowship. Notice it says this, and Joshua returned, and it's, notice it says this, and all Israel with him. Can you imagine the feast that went on? Son, the nanner pudding. I, you know, they were Jews. They probably didn't get to eat bacon, but I bet they had some brisket. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. 
Hey, Joshua, that was awesome how you prayed and asked God to make the day longer, and God did it. I know, man, that was awesome. It's amazing. Hey, Joshua, did you see that rock laying close to you? God knew exactly where to throw it, though, didn't he? I know, that was close. I heard it. What, what, you know, they were fellowshipping and they were telling stories about what God has done. Rejoicing in his victories. Encouraging one another. There's also a place of worship, an opportunity to praise the Lord in the tabernacle for what he did. And that, because after all, he's the one who won all the battles. You know what I wrote down is this. Defeating our enemies is important to having victory, but so too is coming back consistently to our Gilgal. Because you and I need the rest. We need to be strengthened. Well, why? So we can go back out and fight. We need to have fellowship and encourage one another because there are others that need victory just like you're getting victory. And certainly tonight I would say this, we need to praise our God for the victories that He does give us when we trust in Him. Because if we fail to do these things, then we, then we fail to prepare ourselves for the northern campaign and the more enemies that we need to get victory over. Can I ask you something tonight? Are you truly, really living in spiritual victory? Seriously. Seriously. And preacher, you hit home with some things tonight. Yeah? Maybe so. But it wasn't me, it was the Word of God. And maybe what God's saying to you tonight is this. It's about time you get radical about some stuff. And go ahead and utterly put it out of your life. Let's all stand tonight.